A boy uh, once fell into icy water. Uh, he tried uh, to swim to safety, but his clothes dragged him down. And no matter how hard he struggled, he couldn't get closer to the bank. Uh, but he heard a shout uh, amidst his splashing, and he could just see someone on the bank motioning towards him. Uh, and this uh, figure on the bank was gesturing to him, uh, teaching him a better stroke to swim in the icy water, and he could catch snatches of instruction. Uh, don't panic. Uh, move your arms and your legs. Uh, kick your shoes off. Uh, but despite all the instruction, the boy was losing energy, and he was starting to sink. I suddenly heard a large splash beside him. And then before he knew what was happening, he felt strong arms around him. And before long, he was being lifted out of the water and was safely on dry land again. Now that little story illustrates a very important distinction. Uh, the distinction between good advice and good news. Uh, the man on the bank, the figure on the bank, was very good at advice. Uh, no doubt all that he was instructing the boy to do was very good and proper and right. But the man who jumped in, the man who rescued him, brought good news. Uh, there's a big difference between good advice and good news. And the chapter that we've just read from Isaiah proclaims good news, not merely good advice. It's very sad that many people misunderstand uh, what the Bible, what Christianity, what Jesus is all about. Many people think it's simply good advice. It's teaching you the right way to live. And the Bible does do that. Christ does do that. But Christ is so much more than that. He doesn't merely give good advice. Jesus proclaims and is good news. And uh, the book of Isaiah has been called the Gospel of the Old Testament. You know the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the word gospel means good news, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us the good news of Jesus Christ, of his life and his death and his resurrection. But Isaiah does the same thing in the Old Testament, uh, probably more clearly than any other book in the whole Old Testament, Isaiah teaches us of the birth death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and in so doing he proclaims good news did you notice how chapter 12 ended Isaiah says and in that day you will say praise the Lord call upon his name declare his deeds among the peoples make mention that his name is exalted sing to the Lord for he has done excellent things this is known in all the earth cry out and shout O inhabitants of Zion for great is the holy one of Israel in your midst now Isaiah is just full of joy and exultation in what God has done 
Now, obviously, in the context of Isaiah, uh, that is referring in part to how God has defeated the Assyrians. Uh, you'll remember over the last few weeks, if you've been with us, that we've seen how the armies of Syria and Israel and the empire of Assyria have all been threatening the land of Judah, God's people in Judah. And the people are terrified and the king is terrified. But God comes to King Ahaz and says, do not be afraid, I am with you. Uh, Emmanuel is coming. And if we had time, we could read how God solved that problem of the Assyrian Empire. Um, If you want to read it yourself, um, you can look in Isaiah 36 onwards and it describes what God did. The King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and took many cities to the north of Jerusalem. But when he reaches Jerusalem, uh, Ahaz's son, King Hezekiah, cries out to God. He did what his father didn't do. He put his trust in God and God single-handedly destroyed the Assyrian army. And that, uh, in the short term at least, is what Isaiah is rejoicing in, how God has redeemed and rescued his people from this great threat. But it has deeper significance than that. Uh, Ultimately, Assyria is just a picture. It was a fearful enemy. It was a terrifying Uh, obstacle that the people of Judah could not overcome themselves but God could and God rescued them and God redeemed them and he did that to demonstrate that if he can redeem them from the Assyrians he can redeem them from any difficulty and if you like for us today uh, that great army of Assyria is a little picture of our greatest obstacle. Uh, Our greatest obstacle is not any earthly, physical thing, however fearful they might be. Uh, Our greatest difficulty is our sin, because our sin separates us from God. In fact, their sin was the greatest obstacle that the people of Judah faced, though they did not realise it. Uh, King Ahaz's greatest problem was his failure to trust in God. And Isaiah says to him, unless you believe, unless you trust, you will not be established. You remember that picture we've repeated several times now. Uh, Ahaz is like a teenage son uh, huddling in a hut for safety with the rest of his family. And his father is telling him, stay in the hut. You'll be safe. Don't go outside to the storm. It's dangerous out there, but stay in here and you'll be safe. But Ahaz isn't so sure. He isn't so sure he can trust his father. Tragically, he went off. He went out of the hut and he was lost. But nevertheless, the promise remains true. If we trust in God, if we trust in Emmanuel, who is God with us, then we will be safe. And God heals us and saves us from temporary 
earthly difficulties to demonstrate how capable he is to save us from the biggest difficulty, the biggest problem, our sin, which separates us from him. Uh, Do you remember the man who was carried to Jesus by four of his friends? Uh, His four friends brought him and he was lame and there was nothing he could do uh, to save himself. And the friends, because the house was so crowded, they went up to the roof and the roofs were flat in those days and they lowered their friend on the bed in front of Jesus. They tore a hole in the roof and lowered their friend in front of Jesus. But do you remember what Jesus' first words to the man were? His words were, your sins are forgiven you. It's an odd thing to say, isn't it? This man is clearly lame. That's obviously what his problem is. It was obvious to everyone what he wanted. And yet what Jesus said to him was, your sins are forgiven. Jesus addressed his biggest problem first. But then do you remember what he said second? Then Jesus said, and to demonstrate to prove, to show that I have authority to forgive sins, I'm going to heal you of your lameness as well. And he said, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And the man stood up and carried out his bed. But Jesus said he did that to demonstrate that he could do a greater thing, which was to heal, to forgive that man's sin. And it's the same for us. As we look at this uh, terrifying situation that the people of Judah faced and this huge Assyrian empire, it's there to teach us that if God can destroy and can deal with the Assyrian empire, then God can deal with our sin as well. And he does it in exactly the same way, through Emmanuel, through God with us. God redeemed them then because of Emmanuel, and he does the same for us. And what I'd like to do just the rest of our time is just look at this chapter, particularly the verse, opening three verses, and see what the results of God's salvation are to us. Uh, what are the three results of God's salvation through Emmanuel to us? But before I come to those things, I need to make one thing very clear. When I look at these three results of God's salvation, uh, remember that we are looking at the results for someone who has trusted in Jesus Christ, uh, someone who is hiding in him. Uh, Not all of us are in that category. I don't know everyone's heart here this morning. I don't know everyone watching online. Uh, But some listening now are in the situation that King Ahaz was in. Uh, You don't trust God. You're trying to find your own way. You're trying to establish your own salvation. You're rejecting Emmanuel. You're rejecting Christ. And instead you're trying to do it your way. And you're not enjoying this salvation. Uh, What I'm going to say in the rest of this message do not apply to you. You need to be hiding in Christ. You need to be trusting in him. And you can do that. You can cry out to him today, right now. Uh, You can cry out and say, Christ, save me. Jesus, save me. I want to trust in you. 
And then all that we're going to say for the rest of this morning applies to you. So let's see these three results of God's salvation. Uh, The three results of coming to trust in Christ. Let's look at verse 1. It says in verse 1 of chapter 12, In that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. The first result of God's salvation through Emmanuel is that God is no longer angry with us. Isn't that a wonderful thought to consider? So many people live their life with this nagging sense that God is against them. And for many people, that is true. As the Bible puts it, our sins have separated us from God. Uh, God is angry at those who reject him. But if you're hiding in Emmanuel, if you're trusting in him, then God is no longer angry at you. Instead of his frown, you enjoy his smile. The book of uh, Zephaniah, uh, it's a very um, obscure book in the Old Testament, but it even describes God's relationship with us as God delights over us with singing. Isn't that a wonderful thing to consider? God delights over us with singing. We're no longer his enemy. God has made us his child. Uh, Our relationship with God has completely been transformed because God has removed the obstacle of our relationship with him, our sin. Before we run to Christ, our sin separates us from God. All God can see are the times in which we've lied, the times in which we are envious, bitter, uh, gossips, whatever sin you want to pick. All these things separate us from God and cause him to be angry with us. But if we're hiding in Emmanuel, that's completely transformed. And God is no longer angry with us. Now, sadly, uh, many people confuse love with um, a kind of sort of benign attitude or friendliness. Uh, But God's love is deeper than that. Uh, God may discipline us even though he loves us. In fact, you could say God does discipline us because he loves us. The difference is, when you're God's enemy, God doesn't discipline you, he punishes you. Um, In that sense, he has no concern for your welfare, because you are his enemy. But when you become his child, God wants you to be holy. God wants you to be good, because he loves you, and he will not allow you to continue to walk down dangerous, evil paths. And in his love, he will discipline you. Uh, That is what it means for God to love us. So don't think that when I say that God is no longer angry at us, that that means he doesn't care about how we behave. It means the opposite. 
because God loves us, he cares all the more about how we behave. And his discipline is part of his love for us. But it's not just discipline. It's comfort as well. Did you notice what it said at the end of verse 1? It says, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Again, many of us, no doubt, have known the uh, bitter feeling of guilt on our conscience. uh, The fear of some skeleton in our closet being exposed for everyone to see. Um, The book of Psalms speaks of how guilt on the conscience uh, rots the bones. And do you know that feeling of lying awake at night, thinking about things you have said and done and thought, and the fear and the anguish that comes through that? Isaiah says, for those who have come to Christ, you don't need to experience that anymore. God isn't angry at you. He comforts you. He brings you peace when before there was anguish. But you might say this morning, uh, you might say, I don't know what situations you're going through, and you might think, well, that sounds very nice, that God's comforts me but perhaps you don't feel that for yourself Uh, perhaps you have been going through difficult things this year or at this very moment and you are wondering where is God's comfort it's easy to say it but how does God comfort us Uh, what does that mean for God to comfort us he can't give us a hug in the way another human being would What does it mean to enjoy God's comfort? Well, sadly, we often miss God's comfort when it comes because we're looking for something which God has not promised. We kind of want a uh, a warm, fuzzy feeling inside uh, or we want some problem to just be removed, just be got out of the way, and we think that's what God's comfort must be. Uh, but I heard a story, and it was in a school assembly. I think I've shared it before, but I heard it in a school. Not, many, not much good theology uh, comes from school assemblies, at least not the school assemblies I experienced. But uh, this one, I think, has a grain of truth in it. Now, there was once a man who was hanging off a cliff edge. Um, quite traumatic stories this morning. Uh, but there was a man clinging on this cliff edge, and in his desperation, he cried out to God for help. And before too long, he heard uh, a man uh, above him uh, with a rope. And uh, the man threw the rope down to him. But the man said, no, no, I've cried out to God to help me and he will rescue me. Well, before too long, he heard uh, a boat. It was a cliff above a sea and, and he heard a boat beneath him. And they said, let yourself drop and we'll catch you. He said, no, 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 I pray to God and he will save me. And then again, he heard a helicopter come above him and they sent a man down with a winch and they said, jump in and we will save you. And he said, no, no, God will save me. And eventually his strength ran out and he plummeted to his death and he, as it were, stood before God and he said, God, why did you not save me? And God said to him, what more could I do? Now, obviously a fictional story, but do you see the 
grain of truth at least in it. Sometimes we can look for God's help and so we miss the ways in which God is actually helping us. God comforts us and helps us in ways that often we are not looking for. Our eyes are blind to it. A child might hate school. And for them, comfort would be their parents saying, okay, you don't need to go anymore. But that parent knows things that the child does not yet understand. The parent knows that that child must go through school if they're not going to suffer later on. And it's the same with us and God. We may not understand the situations God is causing us to go through. We might think, how can God be a God of comfort when he's not helping me? But it may be that he knows things that you do not. It is the fact that he knows things that you do not. God may not remove the pain, but he may comfort us by increasing our strength to endure the pain. Uh, there's a little, I'll just close with this. There's a little passage, close this point with this. Uh, towards the end of Acts, um, there's an interesting little verse. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is journeying to Rome. And as he's approaching Rome, uh, he is uh, greeted, visited by Christians from Rome. He's still several miles away. Um, But these believers in Rome come out to welcome him and to meet him. And in Acts, I think it's Acts um, 17, or uh, Acts 20, it's towards the end of Acts. And it just says briefly that when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. Or the other way around, he thanked God and was encouraged. In other words, he saw his brothers and sisters from Rome coming towards him and he realised this was God's comfort towards him. He could have been looking elsewhere for comfort. Uh, He could have been thinking that God uh, would comfort him in some other way. But he recognised that these people coming towards him were a gift from God. That's just one way God can comfort us. Don't neglect the people of God. God often comforts us through each other. When we're going through difficulties, the temptation can be to hide away, to run away from others. And if we do that, we may miss where God is wanting to give us the greatest comfort. So we see there the first result of God's salvation. God is no longer angry at us. Instead, he comforts us. Let's move on uh, to verse 2, and we see the second result of God's salvation. Uh, Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. The second result of God's salvation is we no longer need to be afraid. We've seen that God is no longer angry at us, but instead he comforts us. But secondly, we see we no longer need to be afraid. And this follows on from the first one. And this follows on from what we've already seen. Because the reality that God's attitude towards us is now one of love, 
It's not the uh, relationship of a king to his enemy, but as a father to his son or daughter. Because that is the case, because we enjoy this new relationship, we no longer need to be afraid of anything. If you are God's enemy this morning, you are in a terrifying situation. Because at this moment, God could snuff out your life at any second. As it were, you're dangling over an eternal abyss. The Bible calls it hell. And that could be your experience any second now. It is only God who is withholding that from you. Because our lives are in his hands. That means all the dangers of this life are increased to infinity. Because a bus knocking you over not only ends your physical life, but it sends you to judgment. Uh, A disease that you might contract not only could end your physical life, but it could send you to hell. Do you see the terrifying situation all those who are not trusting in Christ are in? Every second, they are in perilous danger. But for the believer, it's not like that. For the believer, they're hiding in that hut, if you like, with Emmanuel. And not even the worst situation that life can throw throw at us can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, Underneath, as the Bible puts it, are the everlasting arms. It's like the little girl, I've shared this before, but I'll do it again. Uh, The little girl who was flying in a plane. She was a passenger, not flying. And she was in this plane, and there was turbulence. And all the other passengers, all the adults around her were terrified. They'd never experienced such turbulence before. But this little girl was serene. She was calm. She just simply continued colouring in her colouring book. And at the end of the flight, when they had landed safely, one of the passengers turned to this little girl and said, how could you remain so calm when all of us were so terrified? And she turns to the other passenger and said, why would I be afraid? My dad's the pilot. And that's the situation we're in if we're a believer. If you're not a believer, if you're not a believer here this morning, your dad is not the pilot. The pilot is your enemy. Not because he's done you wrong, but because you've done him wrong. Imagine being a plane piloted by your enemy. It's terrifying. That would be a horrible situation to find yourself in. But if you're a believer... You're in a plane piloted by your friend, not only your, fa- your friend, but your loving heavenly father who died for you, who died to redeem you. That's why Romans 8 says it, uh, says it like this, that if God, if Christ was willing to come into this world and die for you, how much more will he, through Christ, give you all things? We don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid of anything 
because our worst, our greatest, our most fearful difficulty has been dealt with on the cross by Jesus Christ. Many people worry about getting sick. Uh, They have many anxieties, concerns in life. But if you're a Christian, if you're trusting in Christ, you don't need to. All these worries that trouble other people do not need to trouble you. Yes, we have concerns. Yes, we have problems that we need to solve. But ultimately, they have been dealt with. And much of the confusion, much of the distress, much of the grief in life would be removed if only we understood how much Christ loves us, how much Christ cares for us. And all these problems we experience, which we do experience, would gain their proper perspective, their proper proportion. That's why Isaiah says, if we're trusting in him, we do not need to be afraid. Uh, Let me just suggest uh, a prayer you can pray uh, in this new year. Uh, When you are facing some troublesome situation, uh, perhaps a uh, fearful um, medical diagnosis, Uh, perhaps your job is threatened, Uh, perhaps you've got family difficulties, you have whatever the anxiety or concern, Uh, don't merely pray for the problem to go away. Uh, We can do that. God understands. God wants us to cry out to him. But instead of merely praying for the problem to go away, simply share your heart with God. If you're afraid, tell him you're afraid. If you're worried, tell him that you are worried. Uh, If you don't know what to do, tell him that you do not know what to do. Uh, So often we run around trying to fix these problems or trying to work out what the solution is and telling God to do that solution instead of like a child with its parent just running to God and saying, I don't know what to do. I have this temptation. I have this lust. I have this feeling. I have this anxiety, whatever it might be. And simply presenting it to God, admitting it to him. That is what it means to relate to God as our heavenly father. He wants to hear, he cares, and he knows. And as we do that, we start to learn that we do not need to be afraid. All these things that worry and concern us are not as big as they feel. Simply confess, simply admit your problems to God and let him reveal the answer. So that's the second second, uh, result of salvation. We no longer need to be afraid. Let's move on to the third and last one. Uh, We've seen that the first result of God's salvation is that we are no longer God's enemy. We are his child. Secondly, we do not need to be afraid. But lastly, we can rejoice. Look at verse three. It says, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Uh, In John's gospel, uh, Jesus described himself as living water. Uh, Living water which springs up into eternal life. 
And he said that to the woman of Samaria, a woman who had been desperately trying to find satisfaction in six or seven failed marriages. And Christ said to her, I am living water. All these other places that you are searching for satisfaction fail. They do not spring up into eternity. They are temporary. They are feeble. They are weak. But I, Jesus said, am living water. And Isaiah uses the same description here in verse 3. Uh, He describes God's salvation through Christ as wells of salvation. It is a deep well which we can never reach the bottom of. That's really the last question I want to ask you this morning. Uh, Are you drinking from the wells of salvation or are you still seeking your satisfaction and your happiness and your joy in other places it's very natural for us to do that Uh, we see the uh, different things this world has to offer and we think that is where joy and happiness is to be found but we all know that they run dry in the end Uh, i think christmas in many ways uh, shows this to us Uh, i don't know how you're feeling this morning Um, But I know after Christmas I often feel very flat. Uh, There's a lot of expectation, isn't there, to the big day. And you're looking forward to the food and the fun and the family and all the festivities. And there's great joy and expectation and excitement. And then Christmas comes and goes. And New Year comes and goes. And there's this kind of flat feeling when you know you've got to go back to work. (laughs) Go back to the normal drudge of life and it's January and it's cold and it's dark and you feel the bleakness and that's a good kind of metaphor for life in general Uh, we try and put all our joy and happiness in the things this world can offer and yet so often it comes to nothing if you've ever seen the film uh, Chariots of Fire uh, you'll know I forget the name of the runner but he wins the the gold medal And he's sitting in the changing room and he's looking at his gold medal and he's empty. And he thinks, is this it? Is this what all the work was for? It doesn't ultimately satisfy. But Christ says he does. He is the ultimate source of happiness and joy. Uh, When Christmas festivities ends... Jesus is still there. Uh, When our families fail, Jesus is still there. When our career fails, Jesus is still there. And he says, find your joy and your satisfaction in me. Again, it's so sad that many Christians seem to view Jesus or view God as as merely like like Jiminy Cricket. You've seen Pinocchio? And Jiminy Cricket is Pinocchio's conscience. And he tells him what is right and wrong. And that's what people treat God and the Bible like so often. Uh, God is just there to teach us what is right and wrong. And we get on with our life and then there's this little voice in the back of our head saying you shouldn't do that or you should do that. And that's all God is to them in their life. That's tragic. To reduce God 
to just merely a little voice in your head. Instead, God is our Heavenly Father who we are to have a relationship with. Christ is the source, or can be the source, of all our joy. There are depths to be found in Christ that so many people do not ever experience. So again, let me ask you, are you drawing from the wells of salvation? Do you appreciate all that you have in Christ? Uh, Can I beg you this year, uh, make prayer a priority. Make reading your Bible a priority. Make coming to church a priority. Not because God is sort of pleased that we do these kind of ritualistic things. No, because these are the ways in which we know God better. We understand more about who Christ is and what he has done. And if we neglect those things, we will suffer in the end. It is by using these things that we draw from the well of salvation. So many of our difficulties in life stem from the fact that we haven't built up strength from God's words. We haven't built up strength from a relationship communion with God because we haven't uh, made use of the resources God has given us in the church. And so we're bereft. And when the trouble hits us, when the difficulty hits us, we're unprepared and we struggle with it because we're not ready for the trouble. But God says, I can be everything you need. Christ says, I can be everything you need. Draw deeply from the well of salvation. Uh, Your load may not necessarily become lighter as you read God's word more, or as you pray more, or as you commit to serving God in your life. But you'll become stronger. Uh, You'll be better equipped to bear the burdens which God lays on you. And as a help for that, I do have on the front pew here a, a Bible reading scheme. I tend to print one out each year. And if you would like to get into God's word more, uh, do take one of those reading schemes. It just breaks the Bible into little portions. And you can either read the whole Bible in a year or just the New Testament. Uh, But it will help you to understand more about who Christ is and what he has done. And it will equip you as you face the struggles and difficulties of life. Uh, As Nehemiah said uh, in the Old Testament book. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So those are the three results of salvation. Firstly, salvation in Christ means that God is no longer our enemy. We are his friend. Secondly, we do not need to be afraid. And lastly, we can rejoice because of what Christ has accomplished for us. And with those thoughts in mind, I've chosen as our last hymn, uh, a hymn which expresses the joy we should feel and the thankfulness we should feel towards Christ. It's in our service sheets. My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness 
and clothed me in his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. So we'll stand to sing, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. <laughs>